welcome back to Crimes from the East. I'm your host Pia and with me is Alexa. Hello Alex, how are you? Hi Pia, I'm good. How are you? I'm doing good. Yesterday we were supposed to record, just had a horrible day and I was like, can we just postpone? Yeah, we were both not feeling it. We're totally like out of it. We're like, screw this freaking life. What the hell? We need a we need a change. Yeah. And today we're fine. Totally, you know, on top of things. <laughs> That's just how life goes, <laughs> I guess. Some I think we both just needed mental health day yesterday. Yes. I needed papaya, which was yeah. not gonna happen <laughs> here in northern France. But Oh, what are you no. going to do? I'll add that to the care package I'm going to send you eventually someday, Alex. Papaya, a bottle of uh, Poupon mustard or something. That I can get in troves. I can swim in it if I wanted to. Oh, so the, what do you call it? Scarcity is over? <laughs> the mustard yeah, scarcity? Man, that's, I think this is what's wrong with the world. It's like, even if there's no mustard, like, growing on this earth, somehow we're able to, like, avoid a scarcity. And the consumer is never left wanting for very long. <laughs> yeah. Well, I've been playing a new game. Oh, new game. What? Which one? Uh, it's part two of the Horizon Zero Dawn series. It's amazing. It's like a post-post-post-apocalyptic <gasps> oh universe in this game where like earth was destroyed by robots yeah i think our one of our number one listeners has been playing it and she's trying to get platinum level oh i don't even try <laughs> i just i don't even try for platinum i don't have the patience like the earth was dying so they created an ai to save it but then a like mm -hmm. anti ai was created that destroyed the good ai and then the scientist clones gets cloned yeah yeah i yeah 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 i've Absolutely. watched some of this game it looks beautiful but it is also it's just amazing immense right yes it's a very like vast open world and you play as alloy so it's a female yeah, character, which I always want to play as a female character. And I love all these games that come out with this. Bad robots kill, destroy humanity. AIs fighting each other. Human clones trying to like repopulate the earth. Yeah, like every week there's a new AI that can just, you know, do some real human person's job. Speaking of AI, like the last episode's uh, cover art, I used Midjourney, yeah. <laughs> the graphic design AI, to create that. And I mean, sure, it looks fine, but it's nothing like your art, Alex. Like, there's just no comparison. I prefer what you draw to that oh, stupid AI you. any day. I, I like what it does. Like I saw this thing about like world leaders or famous people eating concrete mm -hmm. contest that AI generated is horrible. It's grotesque. Oh, I heard that someone created a podcast, like a Joe Rogan episode yeah. using like <laughs> voice modulating AI. That is That's scary, crazy. man. If someone like makes... An AI version of Crimes from the East? Actually, I would love it. I would love to hear what AI Pia and AI Alex have to say. Oh, that would be so spooky. I feel like this is going to be a hard segue. Hard, very, very hard segue. Nothing to do with the case today. That's fine. I think our listeners 
are used to it by now. They know our chit chat in the beginning is um, pointless. They're starting to realize how nerdy and in what way we are nerdy at last. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. So random. What have you been up to, Alex? Go anywhere interesting? Cook anything interesting? I made tofu today from scratch. Oh, like you made the tofu. Yeah. It's like a little torture session that I like to give myself every few weeks. And then I forget how painstaking and annoying it is and how the tofu like doesn't last that long. Like you have to eat it within a few days. And actually, like I hate to break it to y'all, but it takes a lot of water and there's a lot of waste produced in the making of tofu Mm. i think it is not a very sustainable food to eat actually i'm sure there's less proportionally when it's made industrially but when it's made industrially they're also adding a bunch of shit into it so like eat tofu once in a while go it's triofoam easily available (laughs) (laughs) yeah there you go okay are you ready to start talking about our case today, yeah, completely unrelated it. to anything mentioned in this episode so far. Let's do it. It's a it. grisly case. It's like mass murder. Ooh. Like an entire family got annihilated. I wonder, like, proportionally to the rest of the world, where do the most family annihilations happen in the world? I feel like it has to be cultures that have a more, like, close family structure because you know like in the u.s there's probably less because a lot of families just don't stay that close together family side that's the word i'd say america but i could be wrong i don't know you think the u.s i was saying that i think that like it's so individualistic in the u.s and people if they don't like their family they just bail and leave so that would make me think that there would be less Whereas, like, places where families are supposed to stick together, if you have, like, a family that drives you nuts, can't really get out of it, it makes more sense. So I don't think there's been, like, a worldwide study on family side, but I'm seeing America come up a lot. Americans do have all the guns, so it's probably easier in that way. Okay, so today's case takes place in the Indian state of Uttar Pradesh. And generally, we do like a very detailed segment on wherever the crime takes place. <laughs> but. Just to get a feel of the place. But. But. I hear a big but. I didn't really put together much because, and I may be wrong here, and listeners can chime in with their opinions. I couldn't find much. Ugh, Uttar Pradesh, I don't really want to send anyone there. Everyone's going there anyways, right? I'm sure there are plenty of amazing and really nice, sweet, kind, considerate people there. But also, (laughs) but also, it is a state ridden with crime, especially against women and minorities. Oh, my God. This state has it all. In fact, it's one of the top states where you are more likely to die if in police custody. Oh, my God. So they have the most... Judicial custody deaths and encounters, which are cases where cops kind of take the prisoners out for a drive and they might just end up dead on the way back. Accidentally beat them to death. 
Yeah. Um, are we trying not to mention that this is, in fact, like the state where the Taj Mahal can be found? It is, in fact, the state where you can find the Taj Mahal. So it's probably like one of the most visited places in India, touristically. Pretty sure this is where my family was propositioned a certain number of goats in exchange for me. Yes, that gives you an idea of how about Uttar Pradesh. I do remember like where we stayed. It was really pretty. We were staying in this like, I don't know, must have been a hotel or something Mm -hmm. and it was on a top floor and I remember like a pretty cool view and lots of interesting buildings but then when you got to ground level it got really shitty really fast yeah 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 Uh, they're famous for Lucknowy manners basically people there are super polite oh yeah so there are parts of Uttar Pradesh that are Probably really nice, but the parts that we talk about are not, right? We always talk about crime and violence, and there's plenty of it in the state. Uttar Pradesh was very significant uh, during the ancient and classical period, medieval times. Mm -hmm. Gautam Buddha first taught his dharma in Uttar Pradesh, and it's also the center of a lot of very significant Indian kings. Okay. So... Got history. Yeah, very cultured and educated state or region, I should say, in past history. Oh, well. Right now, it's trying to find the balance. And I'm sure we'll get there. Every state has its struggles. Yeah, ups and downs. Uttar Pradesh is actually blessed with amazing biodiversity. Yeah, I saw. And they have a tiger reserve called Pilibit and Dudwa National Park. Cool. Oh, they do Kathak dancing there. I learned Kathak a little bit. It's like Indian river dancing. I don't know if if that's how the practitioners would describe (laughs) it. But yes, Kathak is one of the eight major forms of Indian classical dance and is formally the classical dance of the state of Uttar Pradesh. So, wow. Okay, see, that's what I mean. Back in the day, this was a very cultured region but not now (laughs) just be careful when you're out there and you you'll be fine i guess that's all i gotta say and i'm sure we're gonna get some hate mail for this but you know you gotta tell it how it is i don't want to paint a picture of this amazing place and then people go there and they're like what the hell i mean indians know i just mean yeah someone from outside the country just google a lot before you visit and there you go. Okay, enough about Uttar Pradesh, the state we so hesitantly wanted to talk about today. <laughs> Let's get to our case. The main source of today's case is IndianExpress.com. They have an excellent long-form article, now archived, but you can still find it, on this ungodly tale of mass murder. Now, I've called this episode Murder for Love. Aww. And we're going to see how that plays out. India, the land of spices, ancient culture, and the land where fantastical tapestry woven by Bollywood depicts love in all sorts of toxic and unrealistic ways. (laughs) 
Material. India, where the Kama Sutra was written, is also unfortunately a country where people kill their own daughters over loving someone from the wrong caste. And not even sexually loving them, just like, I like him. It's like the ultimate Romeo and Juliet place. Now this case is one where a daughter killed her own family over her forbidden love. Is it weird to say that I support it? It is. It is, Alex. <laughs> just because, you know, a rebel. No, I, I'm just kidding. No. We'll see. No. We'll see. <laughs> no. <laughs> okay. Let's take a look at this grisly murder scene. At 2.15 a.m. on the night of April 14th, 2008, neighbors of the Ali family heard a terrifying scream. 22-year-old Shabnam Ali was wailing, Bachao, bachao, maar dala, which is Hindi for help me, they have been killed. She stood in the second floor balcony screaming and crying out for help. As the neighbors came to their main gate, which was locked, they begged her to open the gate, but she stood there screaming, They will kill me next! The neighbors scaled the walls of the compound, but found that the front door was also locked from the inside. After a few minutes of reassuring by the concerned neighbors, Shabnam came down from the second floor and unlocked the front door from the inside. The neighbors rushed in and they came up to a scene of absolute horror. In one of the rooms, they found Shabnam's 50-year-old mother Hashmi, cousin Rabia, 14-year-old, and in an adjacent room, Father Shokat Ali, 55, younger brother Rashid, 22, all covered in blood. In a third room, elder brother Anis, 35, sister-in-law Anjum, 25, and 10-month-old nephew Arsh lay silent in vast pools of blood. And except for the infant, all the throats of the victims had been crudely slashed, stabbed multiple times. Blood splattered the walls of the rooms that they lay in. It was a scene of cold, calculated violence. Shabnam was now the only member of the family left alive. She claimed that some decoits or robbers had murdered her entire family. And the only reason she was spared was because she had gone to sleep on the roof all by herself. One thing to annihilate your family when you have a normal-sized family, but this is a kind of a big one. That's a lot of people. This is seven people found murdered. It's just hard to imagine how any one person could feasibly be able to do it. Just not be overpowered, you know, against so many people. Also, the baby. Like, why? Uh, why do we, why, why we yeah. gotta, like, what could a baby possibly do? Yeah, it makes no sense. Now, Shabnam was a quiet, demure, 22-year-old teacher in the Amroha School of Uttar Pradesh. She was well-educated with a double master's in English literature and geography. In the little village of Amroha, her family was renowned as the most educated one. Her father, an art teacher at a college, was lovingly called Masterji, or teacher, by everyone. And her elder brother Anis was an engineer completing his B.Tech degree. 
Shabnam was described by all as a dutiful daughter and one who walked with her gaze lowered to the ground. Never challenging authority and being a decent girl in the village. You know how the patriarchy do. That's what they want from you, to be a good girl. You know, this is why my initial reaction is just a tiny bit like, yeah. Go girl? Is that what you felt? (laughs) No, Alice. Again, I will say no. No. Okay. Her family lived together. Eight people lived in a two-story home, seemingly happy and supportive of each other. Supportive in every way except one. And that was forbidden love. Now, across from Shabnam's home was a wood sawmill where a young man named Salim worked tirelessly for a paltry wage. He was a rugged one, having dropped out of school in the sixth grade and working since then to support his struggling family. Somehow, Shabnam and Salim got to know each other and grew close. And their love bloomed in secret because this was a forbidden love. Right now, I'm just picturing The Notebook. The movie? I haven't seen it. Like a Ryan Gosling type. Mm. They belonged to different communities. While they were both Muslim, she was a Saifi Muslim and he a Pathan, who are originally from Afghanistan, like hundreds of years ago. They moved to India from Afghanistan. And these two communities are not known to intermarry, right? The biradri or their castes are not compatible. Why? Don't ask me. It's definitely something that comes from like, you know, when the world was smaller, when groups of people were more distinct and you didn't move around as much and there's a lot more history of like these groups and places and you're not from around here actually feels like important for some reason. Mm -hmm. Even if, you know, two groups have since been in the same place for 100 years, it's just like... A lot of these uh, old-timey rules, some of them were actually to preserve gene pools. Like if two communities are known to be carriers of certain diseases, you would not allow them to marry because that increases the chance of passing it down to your children. But did they know about that? Yes, of course. They knew about that because they observed it over thousands of years. Okay. Yeah. But those reasons were not told to people, right? Like, you're just told, you can do this. Why? They don't even know, I'm sure. It's like a gut feeling. Yeah. Shouldn't. It's, yeah, it's weird. They had this caste clash problem, but even greater than the caste problem here between Shabnam and Salim was the great socioeconomic divide that separated their families. The Alis were well-educated and secure financially, having worked their way up to the middle class. Salim's family was still quite poor, hardly educated, and they had little in terms of future prospects. So even if they had somehow convinced their parents, you know, to overlook the caste issue, financially, it was a step down for the Alis to give their daughter to Salim. Hmm. Although not too much is known about the love affair of Shabnam and Salim, little anecdotes from her colleagues at the school paint a picture of a secretive couple that had love and hope for their future, despite the hurdles in their way. At school, a couple of Shabnam's colleagues knew about Salim, and she had told them that she would marry him one day, by hook or by crook. The two lovers were seen on a motorcycle around her school 
away from the family home many times. So I guess this was their safe space. School. Where Shabnam worked. He was far enough from their families that they felt they could be with each other. Seems risky. None of Shabnam's friends or Salim's friends knew about their relationship. So it's not like they were talking about it and being open, even with their friends. Maybe they didn't have close friends. They seem to be introverted people from what I've read. Mm -hmm. They never hung around anywhere publicly near their homes. Their entire love story played out in the shadows, in abandoned buildings, in the woods, or simply on the bike rides that they would go on to get away from society. A society that wanted to break them apart. Now, whether they really loved each other is unclear. And we'll see later why. Hmm. But sometimes having to unite against an opposition is enough to form a bond and give it the name of love. At least up until April 14th, 2008, the two had nothing on their minds except being with each other. Also, I feel like when love is sort of... Well, when relationships are kind of oppressed, repressed, when you're in this sort of culture that doesn't let you explore those kinds of feelings at a younger age or more freely or more openly, the thrill of it lasts much longer. Right. It's not so much about the relationship, but the taboo aspect of it. Yeah. That kind of compels you to rebel and defend it <laughs> even if you know in your heart you're not even sure if you want to be with this person but you just want something for yourself you want to choose something for yourself and so you choose to fight for this mm -hmm. sometimes I mean not all the times obviously people do actually really fall in love and want to be together but I'm sure in some cases it's more just the rebellion part yeah that that bonds them more than their actual feelings and I think this is one of those cases, and we'll see later why. The couple was serious and they wanted to get married. So Shabnam put on a brave face and broke the news to her family. And this is no small feat. Yeah, that's pretty brave. In a traditional Indian family, especially in North India, a girl to go up to her family and say, I have a boyfriend and I want to get married on my own accord to a man I choose. That must have been a big thing. A shock to her family, I'm sure. Obviously, they did not agree to this alliance and thought that she could do much better for herself. When her father heard about the relationship, he was furious. He beat her and took away her mobile phone. I don't like the murder. I especially don't like the killing of the, the tiny, tiny human. But I still am feeling a little bit of that, like, that go girl. Wait for 10 minutes, Alex, and I'll change your mind. All right. All right, all right. So he took away her mobile phone. And mind you, she was a grown woman with a job who bought her own phone. She bought this phone with her own salary. But in a patriarchal society, you are considered a ward of your family till you are pawned off to a husband. Mm -hmm. So everything she earned was probably the property of the family. She bought a new phone. Go for her. And Salim got her a new SIM card on his name so that they could continue to talk in secret. Now, I sympathize for Shabnam and Salim's little star-crossed romance, just like you, Alex. Yeah, that's it. But they could have and should have just run away and started a new life together somewhere. 
right? Yeah. That's what you would expect them to do. Mm-hmm. But what they did instead completely absolves them of any sympathy and redemption. All right. Amen. I'm with you. The things you do for love are endless, but murder should not be one of them. Faced with a giant, insurmountable societal pressure and familial opposition, the two lovers conspire to wipe out the entire family that rejected their love. Now, a week before the murders, Salim went to a pharmacy and inquired about sedatives. He lied and said that he was depressed and couldn't sleep. But the pharmacist thankfully refused to give them out without a prescription. However, as Indians know, you can get anything you want for the right price. No prescription is needed. And this works especially well in local communities where the pharmacist knows the customers. Like you come and go for years. They know you by name. They know all your ailments. And oftentimes they will just give you meds without a prescription just because they know you, know where you live, etc. In this case, though, Salim didn't want to leave a trace. So he had gone to the next town over to get the sedatives. And as he came out of the pharmacy disappointed, a fruit vendor who was parked with his little cart outside the pharmacy, he had heard the whole thing and offered to get Salim the sedatives. So for a mere rupees 25, 25 cents, even less than a quarter, the fruit vendor got on his bike and came back 15 minutes later with the strong sedatives. And with these pills in hand, Salim and Shabnam planned to execute their brutal scheme. On the evening of April 13th, the Ali family had a normal day. The women got busy in the kitchen making dinner, which the family sat down and ate together. After dinner, Shabnam made tea for the entire family. What a nice thing to do, you'd think. A warm and comforting gesture. Oh, no, no, no. This was a poison concoction that Shabnam's family would drink without a thought, not knowing that they were being eliminated by their own beloved Shabnam. Everyone but the little baby had this deadly tea. And then they went to bed and never woke up again. Once they were all knocked out cold, Shabnam called Salim on the phone and he arrived at the Ali home armed with an axe. As per Salim's testimony, Shabnam ruthlessly held up the heads of her loved ones, one by one, as Salim slashed them callously, killing all six of the adults as they lay in their beds. Can you even picture that? Wait, with an axe? Like a woodcutter's axe type axe? It must not be like the heavy, like chopping kind. It must be like more a machete kind. Because, like, I feel like an axe wouldn't be a very practical tool for this. He worked in a sawmill, so I'm sure he had access to all kinds of tools. Yeah. All kinds of like sharp uh, weapons or sharp tools, yeah. instruments. Yeah. Yeah, it's terrifying. Just picture this like, she opens the door, Salim comes in, and then she's like, they're knocked out cold. Let's go one by one. She's grabbing them by the hair, lifting their necks up, and then Salim is just hacking at it. Is there something romantic in this for them? Not that it's mentioned. It doesn't seem like this is a kinky thing for them, but it's like, how do you commit something like this together and then look each other in the eye afterwards and be like, yeah, I still want to be with you? The only one left was the 10-month-old baby, Arsh, Shabnam's nephew. 
a child she had helped to raise since he was born. She had fed him, played with him, and rocked him to sleep. And now, with the same hands that nurtured him, Shabnam mercilessly strangled the little one. After the murders were done, Salim left the home. He threw the axe into a pond and hid his bloody clothes in the woods. A villager actually spotted Salim aimlessly wandering in the thick brush. And Salim appeared very nervous to him. Shabnam changed out of her blood-spattered clothes and then prepared to scream and bring in the neighbors. It was all over. Seven lives were taken. Was it worth it? All for love? The cops then heard from various people in the village whom Salim had approached asking for protection. So he had a conscience, I guess. Mm -hmm. He had a conscience. In the days after the murder, he went around asking two people, people who had power in the village, basically, Mm -hmm. asking for protection. Okay, so it's a rumor at that point that Salim was involved. But was Shabnam in on it too? Right? Like, that's unimaginable. Unimaginable. The neighbors and the investigating officer, R.P. Gupta, felt something was a little off right from the start. Gupta had his doubts the moment he saw the beds on which the victims lay. He said, and I quote, The sheets were crumpled, but not the way they would have been had the victims thrashed about while they were being attacked. He immediately ordered a toxicology test, and lo and behold, presence of the strong sedative diazepam were found in all the adults. It wasn't like a random attack. It was planned. And it wasn't like a big group of people, because then you won't need to sedate anyone. Yeah. Another point of curiosity that Officer Gupta followed was that Shabnam had told them she was spared because she slept on the roof. Well, it had rained that night, and when they checked the roof, there was no bedding of any sort there. Shabnam was not known to sleep up there, so it was an odd thing to have done for her. They did find an empty spot of bedding made up right next to Shabnam's mother. If she had come down and seen the carnage, there's no way she needly lay down her bedding next to her mother's corpse, right? She must have been sleeping there at night. And if she was sleeping there, then why was she spared? Tons of plot holes in her story. I'm entering into the next phase that I usually enter into. First where I'm like, I get it. And then where I am like, it's almost suspiciously stupid. So you don't sympathize with stupid people. (laughs) I'm taking it. A third clue that connected Salim and Shabnam was their cell phone records. They had been talking nonstop through calls and messages from 7.30 p.m. to 1 a.m. on April 14th. Then radio silence for 30 minutes. Police surmised that this is the time during which the ghastly murders were committed. And then just before Shabnam began her wailing, she again got in touch with Salim on the phone at 1.40 a.m. and spoke for almost 20 minutes before she did her screaming and crying. I wonder what they were talking about. Just like planning, like, okay, yeah, I'll scream, they'll come, we'll do this, and then we'll get out of here, babe. This proves at least two things. One, she wasn't asleep, like she said. And two, there is a period where she wasn't talking to Salim. Which happens to be exactly when her family was getting murdered. Right, right. Now, Shabnam claimed that Dakoyets had killed her family. But nothing of value was stolen from the home. Nothing. The 
cupboards weren't even broken into. I love this word decoits. I've never heard it before. Decoits. It's an English word derived from the Hindi word daku. Oh. A highwayman of sorts. Bandit. A lawless uh, outlander. Interesting. Then she claimed that the family was killed for their land and property by her cousin. Which again makes no sense because she was the only one left who would inherit the property. Yeah. That cousin was, of course, later interrogated and cleared by the police. So that was a false lead. And this perhaps gives us a little peek into her motivations. She knew if she eloped with Salim, a poor woodworker, she was going to have an awfully challenging life ahead of her. Uh Full of hardships that she had never seen before in her life. Right. But what was the plan to... Inherit everything and just continue to live in the house where she murdered her entire family? I think that's pretty much it. I think she planned to get rid of her family, cry victim, and then inherit the property and, of course, all the insurance, life insurance. Get the money. And get the money and then live out her sweet life with Salim. I guess that's what she thought would happen. The murders were horrific. Not only were the tracheas and carotid arteries of the victim slashed, but Shabnam's father had stab wounds on his cheek. Her brother was stabbed next to his eye and above his ear. Her mother was also stabbed in the chest near the heart. So there was hate in every deliberate wound affected on these victims. Yeah. There were several witnesses who saw Salim out and around the Ali home that night. Evidence was piling up fast. Cops couldn't find any indication of any decoits or robbers coming into the Ali home. No fingerprints, no footprints, no signs of home invasion or even theft. Eventually, as the interrogation of Salim and Shabnam continued, the cops knew there was only one truth that pointed to these two being the killers. Salim led the police to the pond and the axe was recovered. Shabnam's blood-soaked clothes, her secret cell phone, and the strip of sedatives was recovered from the Ali home. So it's not just circumstantial evidence, but physical evidence that the cops recovered. Is it just me, or did they really half-ass this thing? Who, the cops or the killers? The killers. I mean, I'm glad that they did. They made it really easy to get caught, but... I guess they thought that even the idea of her killing her whole family was so preposterous that no one would suspect it. I think that's how they thought. But they're not Oscar-winning actors. They should have known that people are going to find out sooner or later. And it does seem like Salim was the weak link, right? Mm. Maybe he kind of got caught up in something. I'm sort of wondering if she would have found a reason to do this anyways. Hmm. This demure girl, the decent girl of the village who like secretly was harboring a lot of hate and resentment and murderous like violence towards her family. And if she didn't have this burly woodsmith boy, she would have done it herself somehow. I mean, I don't think she could have done it herself. She kind of needed him probably in her head to do the dirty work. I don't see love anywhere in this entire picture. All I see is death. All I see is violence. 
planned, carefully planned violence. It was not impulsive because Salim got the sedatives almost a week before the murder. So they had a lot of time to marinate on this plan and think about their actions and consequences. You know these people that you are living with and around for that entire week are going to be dead very brutally in a week by your own hands. Yeah. How do you how do you live with that? It makes me question their state of mind and their character. It's hard to get into the headspace because it just seems, yeah, on the one hand, very cold and calculated. But then you have these super violent like wounds inflicted that could be like an adrenaline thing where just to like be able to do it you have to access a really animalistic side of you and there's a lot of contradictory Mm. you know a lot of planning but then at the same time they just sort of confess as soon as they're caught there's not a lot of cover-up not a lot of alibi planned yes they both confessed and the police investigated the case thoroughly They charged them both with the murders. On April 19, five days after the murders, Shabnam and Salim were arrested. So it didn't take the cops much time after all. (laughs) Almost immediately, the two lovers began to point the blame onto the other. Nice. Salim said that this was all Shabnam's plan, that she killed everyone, blah, blah, blah. Shabnam said that Salim did this whole thing. He came into the home and stabbed everyone to death because, you know, they wouldn't let them marry. Like, wow, what a bunch of phonies. Yeah, jeez. Their love was fake as fuck. This is not love at all. What is love? (laughs) Baby, don't hurt your family. Don't kill them. No, no. This is not love at all. And yes, now it connects to what you were saying, Alex. Like, it almost seems like she wanted to do this no matter what. Yeah. At some point. Or was it motivated by something else? Let's see what you think after I tell you the next piece of information, Alex. Oh, do we have a twist coming? Eight months after the arrest, Shabnam, who was seven weeks pregnant when she was arrested, gave birth to their son. Does this give us their motivation for this atrocity? A desperate bid to forge a life together because now they had a new life coming into this world. Even then, only a sociopath would resort to killing seven people. So what do you think now, Alex? Does that change your mind? I mean, like throwing a little bit of desperation. It's a nice little salt to season the whole stew. But, um... They could have run away. Like, why kill the infant? It's not like he's going to tell anyone what happened or even know. Certainly it already clouded a clearly hmm, poor judgment to begin with. Yes, when they killed their child, they shut the doors of reason and logic and any form of forgiveness on them. They could have taken care of him. They could have raised him as their own, right? Like, fake it to the world and be like, oh, we're going to take care of this little orphan now. No, they killed him. Why? Because then she would be the only one left to inherit all the property. But what about the cousin? Yeah, I don't know. (laughs) That's why it's like, sometimes it seems really smart and devious. And then it's like, but wait, here's a big loophole. Here's a big gap. In 2010, two years after the murders, 
Shabnam and Salim were awarded the death penalty. And as we know in India, this is only given in the rarest of rare cases. Mm-hmm. And the judges in their trial and, re- and appeals trial as well both agreed that this was indeed a rarest of rare case and they deserved to be hung to death. Shabnam has the unfortunate title of possibly being the first woman who is set to be executed by hanging in independent India. So, so far, all the women who have been convicted of even the worst crimes have kind of had their death penalties pardoned Mm -hmm. and are serving life in prison. But she is still set to be hung. It blows my mind that, like, people still get hung. It seems like such a last century way of killing people. Her former friends adopted her son and together they are now rallying to get her death sentence pardoned. Her son is now, I believe, 13 years old. And I feel so bad for him because he actually was raised in the jail till he was around seven years of age. So he grew up in jail with her. Wow, that's crazy. And then he was adopted out. To him, that's just his mama. Yeah. That poor kid is also a victim in all of this. And honestly, I'm okay with her being pardoned, you know? Like, I'm okay with her staying alive in prison because it's probably a miserable existence there anyway. Yeah. Death might be too easy. Let her live. Let her spend another 40 years in jail. I just don't know that it's ever worth it to kill someone for doing a bad thing if that means that someone else has to then commit murder you know it's like sometimes our um thoughts on that are colored more by the crime that was committed yeah yeah yeah, for sure when it's like a violent crime against a woman i'm usually like feeling pretty yes okay with (laughs) the murdering but yeah and that's the thing, right? Because we're women, we sympathize with her with her on one level. Because we know about the horrific patriarchy in India, we sympathize with them a little. Yeah. Yeah. But then we think about what they could have done instead and all sympathies die with it. They could have left. They didn't. They chose to kill a child instead. And so I'm like, let them get whatever is coming to them. They are both alive still and awaiting their bleak fates will they be hung time will tell we'll see i'll i'll put a little update when that happens <laughs> but that was our case for today alex final thoughts ah, senseless man mm-hmm. very unnecessary you know if your parents don't approve of who you want to marry it's not that big of a deal become very successful And then, you know, gain control of your family through economics. Financial blackmailing. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. She could have done some sort of weird version of the Julia Roberts one. She, You know, she comes back and she's rich and she's fancy and she shows them. Pretty woman. She could have pretty womaned him. Pretty woman him. You mean he could have pretty woman them. Yeah, that's what I mean. Count of Monte Cristo. Yeah. Wait, I think Count of Monte Cristo is a murderer too. But yeah, 
you're going to regret this big time or whatever that line is. Okay, I have to admit I've never actually seen this movie. <laughs> yeah, forget it. Yeah, if she had refused to marry anyone, she would have, like, you know, soul-killed her family. And that would have been even more satisfying than actual killing them. They would live and she could enjoy the, you know, the crumbling of the patriarchy in their eyes. I wonder if at any point during this whole planning, Salim was like, um, murder's bad. Maybe we shouldn't kill. <laughs> No? <laughs> I don't know why he became Southern American all of a sudden, but whatever. Yeah, I wonder. Like, it seems like at least Salim had some misgivings about this whole thing. He was kind of brainwashed. Yeah. Love washed. or I don't know what the term is. I mean, he was in like a bit of a position where he was with someone who normally would have been out of his reach. So he was probably a bit bedazzled by the whole situation, right? Enchanted, bewitched, whatever it may be. And maybe they did know about her pregnancy. They oh, did yeah. know that they were going to have a child. And so they had no recourse. They had to get married. Right. They deserved what they got in the end. Mm -hmm. So... No sympathy from me on their death sentence. Okay, so I have a couple movies to recommend for a Bollywood corner. Are you ready? Bollywood corner, yeah. One of them is Samrat & Co. Or Samrat & Company, uh, which is a 2014 Indian Hindi language detective thriller movie. I actually really enjoyed this movie. It's like a Sherlock Holmes knockoff. Nice. Totally. Like there's a Watson and everything. <laughs> Even the way that they shot certain scenes in this movie is completely copied from the Robert Downey Jr.'s Sherlock Holmes. Oh, wow. Like, <laughs> but the movie's still really good. The plot's interesting. It's all about like gritty family secrets and murder. And it's a really nice whodunit. Go watch it. Some rot and co. Cool. Um, the other movie is Anjam Patira, which is a 2020 Malayalam language crime thriller film. Malayalam movies are just so good. It's one of my favorite uh, cinema industries in India. It's from Kerala. They're fearless in their script writing. Like they don't care about what the mass likes. Mm -hmm. They write good stories, good scripts. No like stupid songs and cheese. Yeah. Um, so the plot of this story is about a psychologist who works as a consulting criminologist with the cops. Basically, they find corpses with eyes and hearts eviscerated. So it's like a serial killer that they have to catch. Um, and of course, I'm not going to tell you anything more. I don't want to spoil it for you. So go and check out this movie, Anjam Patira, which means... The Midnight Murders. Cool. That's all I had for this episode. Nice. You want to tell them to do the thing, Alex? Rate, review, and share. Visit our website if you would like to follow on the Hippity Happenings. Um, become a Patreon and support all of the good work that Pia does. Uh, and yeah, do the stuff on wherever you listen to podcasts. But I think primarily on Spotify. I love Spotify. Like that's where I listen to a lot of podcasts. And it's an 
easy platform to rate yeah. podcasts. Like you can just go in there and give it five stars. Now you can even ask questions on each episode. So try that out. Like ask me a question or put in your opinion on the case. What do you think about Uttar Pradesh? <laughs> yeah, I want, I want to hear. <laughs> <laughs> I want to hear. Um, and then also you should check out our Instagram because Pia posts not just true crimey stuff, but cool South Asian like stuff that we find at crimes from the east on instagram so check it out come follow us i i always get these like stupid bots asking me to like pay for subscribers and shit and i'm like i'm not doing that we have 600 followers and all of them are real people who have organically followed us found us and i'm very happy about that i don't care about having thousands of fake follows because i mean why why Who cares? We're not doing this for clout. We're doing this because we want a sincere engagement. We want the real Pav Pauji. Yeah, we want the real people. And speaking of um, real people, I got a really sweet message uh, from one of our listeners, D. I was debating like yesterday if we should even record and release next week because of, you know, our shitty day. Mm yesterday and i got this message from d on instagram she's like you should release episodes more often i miss hearing your voices when i study thank you thank you d that was so sweet it touched my heart and it really gave me that motivation to complete the script and like do this today record and release and i was like you know what we're gonna do it we're gonna pull up our socks and make the episode because we forget people are actually waiting to hear us (sighs) So cool. Thank you so much for listening. And you can join us again in a couple weeks, hopefully, (laughs) for another episode of Crimes from the East, your Desi True Crime podcast with a little masala and spice. Namaste. Namaste, y'all. Bye.